0: Welcome to Teaching in 10, a podcast from the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning at the University of Northern Iowa. Teaching in 10 provides a space for higher education faculty to share teaching strategies and stories about how we engage students and support student success and well being in 10 minute episodes. I'm Dr. Sarah Montgomery, and today I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Jeremy Schraffenberger to the podcast. Jeremy is professor of English in the Department of Languages and Literatures at the University of Northern Iowa. He is also editor of the North American Review. Jeremy teaches courses in creative writing, literature, as well as a practicum in professional writing, where students help to put together issues of the North American Review. Jeremy also plays keyboard for the band, Michael LaFave and the Favorites. He is among the favorites. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for being on the podcast. I'm excited to learn from you. And could you tell us, how do you engage students and support their success in your teaching?
1: Uh, Thanks, Sarah, for having me here. It's really awesome that you're doing this. I can't wait also to listen to Bill's episode sometime (laughs) in the future
0: Thank you uh,
1: to learn from him. I think that bringing faculty together to share... Tips, techniques, ideas uh, can only benefit the students. Um, how do I engage students? Well, I wanted to say I do teach creative writing and literature classes. Mm-hmm. And so some people don't know that those are two very different kinds of things. Even though I do both of them, they feel very different sometimes, okay. at least the way people approach them. Um, one of the things I want to talk about today is project-based learning, even though Great. I... I kind of approach project-based learning from a, an a-theoretical perspective. I'm not studying it. I'm not, um, I'm not reading John Dewey in order to get sort of the philosophical underpinnings. I come, come to it with this very basic fundamental idea, which is that the work students do should be real. Yes. And, and I've tried to discover over the years of teaching, how do I make the, th- the, the work students do real? In creative writing, it already is real. Okay. You know, I don't have to invent anything because we can talk about tools. We can talk about skills that students use in order to write a poem of their own. That's mm-hmm. the project. They're, they're here to create art. They're here to do something beautiful. Okay. And so that is very real. Yeah. Um, not only that, it also just allows them to be expressive, right? It's they, beautiful. It's a place where they often don't School is often a place where they don't get to be yeah. expressive. So I've always sensed creative writing has this special magic as a discipline where they can they're doing real authentic things. Yes. Um, and then when I would switch over and teach a literature class, my my sense was, all right, I have to do something different. I have to I have to um, I have to teach them the knowledge and the skills and the history the of reading literature. Um, and I lost some of that magic. Uh, I don't know if you've had any, any any similar experiences where you teach one thing and it feels very yes. different from when you teach another.
0: Absolutely, and you want to continue when you know that magic is possible. It's like, how can you make that happen in that in that other frame? So yeah, y- go ahead. Yeah,
1: and so one of the things I um, that I did that sort of took that creative writing aspect and and put it into a, a literature context. Um, recently, I taught a, a class called Environmental Literature. And so um, I can teach it very much as, as a survey of environmental literature. Um, I usually start in the 19th century with the transcendentalists and move forward. Uh, in an American context. Right. So I could very much do that as I had done before. Sure. Here's just uh, here are important texts. You need to know about them and understand them. And then you need to tell me what you understand about them.
0: And that's fabulous. That's great. Mm -hmm.
1: It was very different, though, from the creative writing experiences that I wanted to capture. And so uh, most recently when I taught environmental literature, half of the class was that survey. Okay. The second half of the class, students were charged with going out into the world, and interviewing people, having them tell their own stories, write poems, write stories, write essays, that we then put together and published as a book. Wow! And so that was a very real thing. We had a launch party at the public library, um, and so it captured that sense of doing something real, creative, new. Yes. Um, while also understanding the stories that they were um, that they were hearing from people who lived in their community about their relationship with the land. They could put that in the context of this briefer survey of uh, of environmental literature that we had done the first half of the class. And so I, I felt like this is great. Now, I don't know if I can do that across the board when I teach literature. So I'm, I'm, I'm constantly now trying to find ways to make things new, to make things real, to make them authentic. Um, environmental literature seemed really appropriate because everyone has a relationship to environments. Everyone yeah. has a relationship to the non-human world and they can say something about it. Um, I, however, I also regularly teach a class called the British Novel since 1900. Now, I don't know exactly, I don't know exactly <laughs> um, what people's prior relationship to British novels um, the twentieth, twentieth, and twenty first century okay. um, are. I don't know what what they already think about it. So I had I had to sort of think what how can I make this new when it's already um, it's already limited to these are, are novels that are British. We can ask the question what does British mean, uh, and okay. they're published in a certain time period. So it's mm-hmm. already it's already historicized. It's already Um, it's already sort of presenting an approach to teaching this course. So recently, um, I I decided to ask a big question that no one had ever asked before and have students do something that no one had ever done before, which is hard to do when you're talking about (laughs) English, right? Yes. So um, I took it seriously. I took the 1900 to today very seriously, um, and I... I selected one novel from each year, from 1900 to 2021. Okay. And I scanned the first five pages of each of those novels. And so we started this class by reading the first five pages of 121 novels. Not all at once. <laughs> we wow. broke it up into packets. Okay. Um, so the first five, six weeks, I said, here's the big question. I want to know what you can say about how British novels begin. Hmm. That's a question no one had ever asked before. And it's a question, it's a formal question. So it's like, here's a narratological question. What are some of the stylistic um, sure. elements of of novels when they begin? You don't have to read the whole thing. Just tell yeah. me about those first five pages. It's kind of arbitrary, but yeah. you can say something. Mm-hmm. It. it but it's not anything that anyone has ever said before, uh, and and That's I had just never
0: fascinating, uh,
1: yeah. and I I had never done it before, uh, and so when I approach it, I feel like I can be honest with them mm-hmm. and say, "Listen, you all, we're asking this big question. Maybe w- what <laughs> we'll come on the other side of this experiment, we'll come out of it by saying, you can say nothing of importance." <laughs> The but, but the first five pages of 120 <laughs> novels. And that would be okay because the conversation and the process of getting to that yeah. conclusion would be part of the point. Um, and then, then of course, we shifted from reading those packets of beginnings of novels to reading full novels. We read six full novels. Um, and then we talked about the entire novels. Uh, and then we also gave some time at the end towards talking about how do novels wrap up out of the end uh, from the six that we read, the mm-hmm. full six ones, the, the six full ones that we read. Um, but this did a few things. One is, as I said, I could be honest. And one of the things I feel like as professors, we don't allow ourselves uh, is being baffled. It's not knowing.
0: And, and that's that was my question as you were talking. It's like, did you tell your students that? And you did. It's you were oh, like, this yeah. is super new. This yeah. is a yeah.
1: And I so in 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 other contexts, I've had um I had my own professors share their work with me occasionally, mm-hmm. and and I've I've always been a little ambivalent about this because I had a I remember one one professor shared. Um, the draft of an essay that they were writing for a conference presentation i'm a sophomore in college you know and i'm reading this thinking am i supposed to be able to do that and it was really daunting and it kind of hamstrung me rather than making me feel like i was being let in on the process of how um, how meaning is created from Mm -hmm. reading literary texts and so i was i'm always very careful of not assuming too much, like saying, okay, if I share this with you, you're going to identify with it and also be able to do it. But in this case, I could. I could show them all the messy work because I hadn't done it beforehand. I was saying, we're doing this together. Um, and I found it very useful going, f- like, as we proceeded, discovering, okay, I'm taking a lot of notes on these, on these first five pages of these novels, handwritten notes, which then I transcribed. And from those notes, I could see sort of patterns emerging, kind of even discovering what I was preoccupied with. Um, I normally would not share those kinds of notes with students if I'm just reading full novels in a traditional class. Um, but I found it very useful to share them. I so here's a Google doc. Everyone, look at what I'm so you're seeing. You're showing
0: them your thinking.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, and they, and they were taking notes as well. Um, but when they were able to see my notes, I think they were also able to see like, okay, here's what you notice. Uh It's, it's like the first step of, of analysis, even if it's not that next step toward interpretation. Okay. So I found that extremely valuable. Um, if for no other reason than to just say, here is part of the process of Mm -hmm. how, how a scholar makes meaning.
0: And to model that for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the other the other thing i discovered from this is that the writing that they did was um necessarily original oh. so one of the things i i have trouble with and often with our best students yep. our best students because they're the most dutiful students know what or think they know <laughs> what we want to read yes and so they're able to jump through a hoop very very cleanly
0: and deliver that
1: here's the deliverable mm-hmm. I know I I'm, I'm very conscientious here it is
0: mm-hmm.
1: and how do I get those students especially to just set the hoop down <laughs> and maybe even create their own like exercise or their own hoop to jump through
0: yeah.
1: uh, and this was one in which this was a, an exercise a whole part of the class where students couldn't help but do that um, it also invited I think in a way that um, other assignments might not it invited a kind of first person writing um, i I'm somebody who believes in the first person mm-hmm. in academic writing mm-hmm. and who wants students to um, embrace uh, their own experiences as writers yep. uh, and, and i'm very I'm very hard on students when it comes to like why are you using the first person and I want it to be functional I want it to be Meaningful. Yes, it's not just. I think I believe it is my thinking and my believing is part of the significance of what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this case, their thinking and their believing and their experience of reading this very strange set of texts <laughs> was a- a- allowed for that. It and and I think it kind of invited it. You couldn't plagiarize. That assignment, There's, you can't you can't get online and find somebody writing about the first five pages of the beginnings of British novels since
0: 1900. Wow!
1: So that was a huge benefit for me, and I think that's a huge benefit in general of project-based learning, which is that it's real and therefore it's less likely to be um, plagiarized and it's more yeah. likely to be personally meaningful.
0: And really, I think layers of challenge, like unique challenges, and and opportunities for vulnerability for you and for the yeah. students, not only for them academically, but personally and kind of identity development, too. So do you feel like was did the magic that you were seeking was it present?
1: Yeah, no, it totally was. It totally was and It, it was different from the creative writing yeah. magic. It honestly was. Um, but it was it was in the same family. You know, awesome. it, it felt like it felt real. In other words, yeah. Um, and here's the thing, though, that felt like a discovery based on a desire. Like I had a desire to make this course that I taught as authentic as that environmental literature project yeah. and as authentic as the creative writing experiences I've had. Um, the, the challenge is to find out how to ask those real questions. So my specific project can't be replicated exactly in other contexts but in general if you can ask yourself how do i have students ask a question that no one's ever asked before and then spend a good amount of time trying to authentically answer it for me that's what project-based learning is
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and it doesn't have to be it, it has to be public it has to be shared yeah. of course it's not just you know privately thinking um but you can do it, I think, in still within the, the traditional context of I am reading text and writing an essay. And I feel like that was successful.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming to Teach and Intend to share that with us and just the opportunity that that can give us all to think about how we can approach our courses differently and, and create opportunities for ourselves and our students that are so authentic. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, listeners, please subscribe and review us wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to tell your colleagues about this podcast. And until next time, thank you for joining us on Teaching in 10 from the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning at the University of Northern Iowa.